hurricanes are coming, it's something you can shout in the streets. Come on. Um, and the cool, the cool thing I think, or the interesting thing about this sermon series, as I was talking to Tom a little bit, uh, and having, is that I think this, it's going to be really relatable for us. Because I think we all deal with something called lost potential. We can look back in our past and say, man, if I had only, if we had only, if I had made the different decision, and feeling that loss of potential. I think, I think this sermon series is going to do a lot for us to learn how to, A, avoid losing potential, but also what to do with loss of potential. And another thing, just, just quickly, uh, I preached a, not that long ago, a couple weeks ago, we finished our sermon series uh, called Program Like Jesus. Uh, there's a way to get that sermon series without having to get CDs like we're in 1990. Uh, and that is online via the website, uh, centralassembly.church. There's a button on the main page for sermons. You follow that. Uh, you can also can pull out your phone. There's this little thing called pod, the podcasting app. And if you search Central Assembly Superior, because we are superior, uh, you'll find us there. You can subscribe to the, the podcast, and it'll come right to your phones, and you'll never have to think about it, and you can listen to it on the go. And so I really encourage you to, to subscribe to our podcast. So let's, let's hear it for Tom. Let's hear it for the sermon series. I'm excited for what God's going to be doing. Come on. You guys excited too? New sermon series? It's like a new day. New Pray. month, a new month, a new sermon series. It's awesome. Pray for me, will you? Yeah. Father, we thank you for uh, the worship this morning, what you did there. Lord, I pray for what's going to be spoken this morning, Lord God. I ask that you touch Tom, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would be upon him, Lord God, in the words that he's going to say, Lord. And as we study Samson, Lord God, as we look at him, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see uh, things that can, we can change in our lives to not have lost potential in your name. Amen. Amen. I agree. Uh, last Wednesday, we had uh, a prayer walk. We went prayer walked down Tower Avenue. We started at Belknap Tower, went north. Uh, it was, I thought it was amazing. Uh, we're going to pray walk again this Wednesday, 6 o'clock. We're going to cover East End this week. We'll meet in front of the East End Hardware. The East End Hardware is owned by our own Roger and Wendy Lundquist. We encourage you to shop there. little plug there. And uh, that's on 22nd Avenue East and East 5th Street. So you know where East 5th Street is, 22nd Avenue, East End Hardware. We'll meet right in front of there at 6 o'clock. And we'll, we'll walk about two miles around East End. That's what we did on Tower Avenue. We're just, gonna, we're just praying for our city uh, over the course of the summer. Uh, would you do me a favor and fill out the connection card? It's, a, it's part of your, the program that you were handed as you came in. There's a detachable portion. And uh, we prefer if you hang on to that to the end of service. Just leave it on your seat when you go. We pick those up and, and uh, there's space for prayer requests there, praise reports and assorted other responses, and uh, so thanks for filling those out. Valuable information to us, to me personally, so thank you for filling that out. The series is called, as Matt said, The Philistines Are Coming. Now that's with an exclamation point at the end, by the way, and I've been running around the house for weeks now, yelling at random moments, The Philistines Are Coming! Much to Rhonda's chagrin. It's an eight-part series on Samson. Samson served as the 13th judge of Israel. He lived about 1,100 years before Christ. He was a man of almost superhuman strength, sort of biblical Hercules, if you will. 
His story is found in the, in the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 16. You can turn there while I'm introducing the series if you want. Today we'll tackle the first 20 verses of chapter 13. Samson has become uh, almost a, a mythical hero, but he's hardly an ideal role model. Samson breaks vows, he has trouble with women, he uses his strength to function more as a vigilante than he does as a leader. Samson's calling and destiny are explicitly laid out by God even before he's born. In a sense, he's a type of Christ who came to save his people. Samson was called from birth. Samson's story jumps quickly from birth to adulthood where he doesn't take long to get in trouble there. Throughout his life, Samson seldom acted in concert with others. He, he leads no army, but typically acts on his own, fueled by and reliant upon his own strength. This gets him into trouble, too. The story of Samson is checkered with disappointment and failure. He was called of God. He had a lot to offer, and yet he falls well short of his potential. He just does not do much with what God entrusted him with. It's one of my passions as a pastor to help people reach their potential. It grieves me. It grieves me when people fail to recognize who they are in Christ and they make decisions that limit what they can accomplish for the kingdom. This explains the, the tagline for the series, The Tragic Story of Samson's Lost Potential. So let's read, beginning in Judges chapter 13, the first verse says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. The Philistines are coming. The key word in verse 1 is again. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Speaks of the, the tragic cycle of the children of God. And, and it's not just Israel, unfortunately. Christians seem to fall prey to this cycle as well. The cycle looks something like this. They serve the Lord. Number two, they prosper. Number three, they fall into idolatry. Number four, they're oppressed. Number five, they cry out to God. Number six, God sends a deliverer in His mercy. And number seven, the people are delivered. Back to the beginning. They serve God. They prosper. They fall into idolatry. And the cycle plays itself through again. We seem bent on independence. Our prideful, sinful nature longs to be self-sufficient. This is why prosperity doesn't serve us well. We start to think, we got this. This is where we are as a nation. This is exactly where we find ourselves as a nation. We've prospered since the industrial age, and we've come to believe that we don't need God. But make no mistake about it, we're just running the cycle. You've heard it said that God is a perfect gentleman, 
And so it is. Once we begin to become self-sufficient, God leaves us on our own. He will not impose Himself on us. He blessed us with free will and He will honor it. The catalyst of God moving on our behalf is faith. But as a nation today, we're virtually faithless. We're running on the fumes of a people who once loved God and trusted the Bible. We're in a far different place now. The people of God have done evil again. And as a result, the Philistines are coming. Verse 2 of Judges 13 and following says, There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, you are barren and bare not, but you shall conceive, the angel of the Lord said, and bear a son. Barren means sterile. In, in a broader sense, it means unable to produce fruit. Maybe today you're barren. I'm not talking about having children. Maybe you just haven't produced fruit. Well, I'm here this morning to tell you that your day is coming. I'm here to tell somebody that your time of fruitfulness is just around the corner. I have been sent this morning to, to tell somebody that like Manoah's wife, you shall conceive and bring forth fruit. You've been called from birth. And yes, there is a part for you to play in the equation. It won't just happen, but make no mistake, you do not have to be barren. Hear me, O oh child of God. Days of fruitfulness are possible. Days of fruitfulness are ahead. Maybe you're barren today, but take heart. God wants you to bear fruit. Be encouraged, O oh saint of God. His desire is for you. God's desire is that you bring forth fruit and fruit that remains. That's what the Bible says. Now all that's left in the process, you can say amen to that, by the way. All right. Now all that's left in the process is for you to align yourself with God's will and it will happen. All that's left is for you to let go of your fear. All that's left for you is to surrender your will and offer your life in service of the kingdom. Do that and you will conceive and bear fruit. Just keep in mind, I don't want you to say anything right now, keep in mind, you can react and respond to the sermon as it happens. As I continue into verse 4, we take note that Manoah's wife is unnamed. We never know her name. It reminds me that we're all pieces in the puzzle. We are all cogs in the giant gear of God's workings, if you will. And yet we have the privilege of being used by Him to accomplish His great and grand and glorious purpose. And, and when it comes right down to it, that's all that really matters. 
None of us are more valuable than the other. And you might think that, that I'm wrong about that. Or you might think that, that I'm trying to appease the seemingly less significant parts of the equation. But let me ask you this question. Would you rather do without the mayor or the garbage collector? We all have a role. We all play a part. And while we're raised up as individuals, we are part of a larger whole. The king and the servant can both make a difference. The same is true in the church. There are deacons that we bring up to the front often, but they're not more important than the nursery worker or the one involved in the gatekeeper prayer ministry that we never get to see or the greeter at the doors or the greeters out in the parking lot. They may be nameless and unrecognized, but like Manoah's unnamed wife, they are vital to the cause. She doesn't make anyone's list of favorite Bible heroes. We don't find her listed in Hebrews 11, but she did what the Lord called her to do. And because she did her part, a day would come when she would fulfill her destiny and she would bear fruit. That's all that God asks you for. That's all that God asks you to do. Do your part. Do what He calls you to do. You don't have to be anyone else. You don't have to do what anyone else does. Just do what God tells you to do. Verses 4 and 5 tell us what her part was. It says, Now therefore beware, I pray thee again. This is the angel of the Lord who appeared to Manoah and his wife. The angel of the Lord talking to Manoah's wife. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, that you drink not wine nor strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come on his head for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Samson, you see, was called from birth. Now the angel of the Lord tells Manoah's wife not to drink alcohol or eat any unclean thing. For Manoah's wife to bring forth fruit, she would have to be set apart for service. Did you know that as a Christian... You are to be set apart. Did you know that the Bible calls us peculiar people? We limit ourselves. Hear me now, church. We limit ourselves when we snuggle up to the world. We fail to bear fruit when we try to be as much like the world as we can. We rob ourselves of potential when we fail to see ourselves as countercultural. The fact of the matter is, God has called us to be different. The reason you may not be bringing forth fruit, hear me now, the reason you may not be bringing forth fruit is because you have not set yourself apart unto service for the Lord. That's what the call of the Nazarite did for Samson. It set him apart. It distinguished him. And that's what it means to be a Christian too. You are a child of God. You are not like the world. You're to be distinct and separate. I worked for 24 years at a Georgia Pacific plant here in town. And me and another guy would read our Bible in the locker room during the lunch hour every day. We weren't obnoxious about it. Everyone else was in the lunchroom. We were in the locker room. 
And I'm sure the guys made fun of us. But I, I, but I can't tell you how many times they sought us out in their times of trial and asked us to pray for them. They didn't turn to the party animal. They didn't turn to the fornicator. They didn't turn to the gambler. They turned to us. The ones who were set apart for the service of God. But for that to happen, we must be different. Manoah's wife was set apart. And Samson would be the fruit of her womb. Samson was cold from birth, and he was born into the Nazarite vow. This does not mean that Samson came from Nazareth. It has nothing to do with Nazareth. The vow of the Nazarite spoke of a total commitment to God, to be distinct and to be different from the world. In fact, the Hebrew word Nazar, N-A-Z-I-R, as in Nazarite, means consecrated. The vow of the Nazarite could be a special service performed for a specific length of time. In other cases, it meant it was a call of lifetime service. According to Numbers 6, and we won't turn there, but Numbers 6, it it details the vow of the Nazarite, and it essentially means these four things. Number one, it's an oath of service to God in Numbers 6 too. So what's the call of the Nazarite that, that was upon Samson's life, the vow of the Nazarite? Number one, it was an oath of service to God. To us today, it speaks of commitment. And I believe there has to be a moment. There needs to be a a rite of passage. And we are just not good at this these days. The the Jewish people are amazing at it. But we are not good at the rites of passage. There needs to be a commissioning of some sort. Perhaps for us, it's water baptism. It marks the moment. It's a public declaration that says, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. And I am set apart for God's service. Listen, you need to do this somehow, some way. You need to declare yourself. You need to proclaim that you are born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb. To your family, to your friends, to the people at work. Your neighbors need to know that you're a believer. The world needs to know that you love Jesus. It's an oath. It's a a moment of commitment. It's a vow of commitment to the Lord. Second, the second part of the vow of the Nazarite, according to number 6.3, is to abstain from alcohol. I know I addressed this last week. I did not choose for this to come up here again. It just did. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. Tune me out if you must, O sipping saints. Some Christians ask the question, can I drink alcohol? I believe you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the legal question. Better to ask the moral question. Should I drink alcohol? I'm always sad when I see Facebook posts of people hoisting a cold one or a giant glass of wine and celebrating the onset of drunkenness or the anticipation of some sort of altered state. Sadder still, 
when it's a professing Christian. I wonder how many unbelievers see the posts of Christians who have been given in their mind a license to drink because the Christian they look up to has signed off on it. Cain asked a a question for the ages. Cain asked a, a question often misconstrued and misinterpreted. He said, am I my brother's keeper? Had he waited for the answer, the answer would have been, Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Let me ask you a few questions for us to answer honestly in the recesses of our heart and mind. Hypothetical questions, if you will. You don't have to raise your hand, and you'll be glad about that. (laughs) But, But ask them honestly to yourself. Six questions. Is the alcohol business an industry that I want to support? Number two, is the use of alcohol something I want to model for my children and grandchildren, knowing that what one generation does in moderation, the next tends to do in excess? Number three, is the use of alcohol something I want to model for those I mentor or those weaker or younger in the faith? Number four, does my use of alcohol keep me from serving Jesus at a deeper level? And that may be the question of the day. Number five, if Jesus was here, would I be comfortable drinking alcohol in front of him? And finally, number six, is drinking alcohol a behavior I'm proud of? All right, I'm done. I'm done with that for a while. Another aspect of the call of the Nazarite is number three, to let his hair grow uncut for the length of the vow. Number six, five. Not cutting the hair is a visible sign of the Nazarite's consecration to God who is his strength. The hair is a reminder. God is our strength. Finally, number four, for the entire period of the vow, he must not come into contact with a dead body. Numbers 6.6. This is our admonition, church, to avoid sin. For you see, every time we sin, something dies. Our testimony dies, our example dies, our influence dies, some of our potential dies. Sin in your life is like dragging a rotting corpse around with you everywhere you go. It slows you down. It limits you. It it breeds disease. It saps our strength and demands of your energy. And as many here could tell us, it soon begins to stink. It's time to let it go. Get rid of it, church. You'll have a whole new outlook on life the day you decide to let go of the sin that so easily besets you, the sin that you've been dragging around behind you for all too long. The vow of the Nazarite parallels the life of the Christian in the New Testament. Four things. The oath of the Nazarite speaks of our commitment to Christ. Second, abstaining from alcohol speaks of our separation from the world. The uncut hair reminds us it's God's strength that sustains us day by day. And not touching a dead body speaks of our need for purity and holiness. And I'm here to tell you today that you have a call upon your life. 
You were called from birth. And that leaves you with a choice. You can ignore it. You can neglect it. You can deny it. You can do things in your own strength and in your own way like Samson did for much of his life. And the result will be that you will live well beneath your potential. Or you can accept the call upon your life. You can embrace the the possibilities and begin to live a life worthy of the calling. And that's why the series is tagged the tragic story of Samson's lost potential. He had so much. He was destined for greatness. He was created for success and designed to accomplish the will of God. But he aimed low. He was called to conquer. But he lived for himself instead of living for God. Like some modern day Christians, Samson seemed to hang around the periphery of God's work. He was always on the verge of something great. What about you? I don't want your life to be a tragic story of lost potential. Are you looking to accomplish something for God? There are lots of opportunities, many of them right here at Central Assembly. On the back of your connection card, there's two listed today. We're looking for someone to volunteer to head up our greeters. We're looking for someone to volunteer to head up our coffee shop. Someone to learn the ministry, to embrace it, and make it their own. Stop saying, someday, get involved, do it. Don't wait till the end of the summer. Don't wait till the kids are grown or the house is paid off. You've been called from birth. Every moment you wait, every opportunity you miss, is more lost potential. It's time to set yourself apart in service of the kingdom. Let's wrap this up. Verses 19 and 20, as the communion elders and the worship team make their way to the front, beginning in verse 19, so Manoah took a kid, that's a goat, young goat with a meat offering, offered it upon the rock. Listen to this now. This is fascinating. Offered it upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven off of the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on and fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord in this passage, many believe, is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. Just think. Just, Just think. Jesus showed up in the life of Manoah and his wife when they made an offering. And Jesus wants to show up in your life too. But it takes an offering on your part. Should have saved this for the giving moment. But I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about something much more valuable than that. I'm talking about yourself. We all need meaning. The Greeks called it telos. It means end. It speaks of your purpose. And like Samson, God called you and designed you to to be something and to do something. Matt would say in his series that you're programmed like Jesus. 
And operating independently from that inbred, innate programming, we'll struggle. We will struggle. We'll always be, to some degree, a fish out of water or a round peg in a square hole. It's not an occupation. The calling isn't an occupation or a title. It's a gifting and a capacity. If you aren't operating in yours, my hunch is you're, you're feeling a restlessness. There's a, a sense of quiet desperation. It's most pronounced when you're not living for Jesus. The best thing you can do is surrender to Jesus and to choose his way. That's the first step. But maybe you're already a Christian, but you're barren. You're not producing fruit. Well, that can change. It can begin to change today. It starts with aligning yourself with the will of God. You need to get into step with Him. It starts with faithfulness, which is the precursor or the prerequisite to fruitfulness. Commit your life to Jesus. It's almost like the vow of the Nazarite. You begin to trust him and serve him and live for him. You, you set yourself apart for his service. And then you begin to ask God to make your calling known to you. And then you begin to walk in it. Listen, you were, you were called from birth. God said this to Jeremiah. He said, before... Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Samuel, the, the priest and judge of Israel, would have been around 12 or 13 years old when God voiced his call. It would take Four calls. Now picture this. It would take four separate calls from God with an audible voice before Samuel would understand and respond. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Finally, Samuel answered and said, Speak, for your servant hears. How many times has God called you? How many times has God made it clear? He wants to use you and we continue in our slumber. Remember, we all have a part to play. Some of us are Samson's, some of us are Manoah's, and some are Manoah's wife. But we're all part of the equation. We all have a part. Don't make the mistake of living for yourself and failing to fulfill your potential for the kingdom. And so I'd like to use Holy Communion this morning as an opportunity to quiet ourselves before Him. Maybe today can be the beginning of the end of your barrenness. We invite all to participate in Holy Communion with us. You don't have to be a member of Central Assembly. You don't even have to be a regular attender. Uh, the one prerequisite is again what we believe to be the scriptural prerequisite, and that's that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We want you to, when you do partake in
communion. We want it to be something that you understand and grasp. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we welcome you to take part with us. I'm going to pray over the elements. The men will distribute the elements. We ask that you uh, hold the elements until all have been served, and then we'll eat and drink together in just a moment. And while you're waiting on that process to be completed, as your heart quiets before the Lord, as everything begins to slow down and we wait on Him, here's what I'd like you to consider. Lord, what part do you have for me in the kingdom? What gifting, what capacity, what opportunity, the personality you've given me, how can it be used for your kingdom? We believe that he wired something into all of us. I believe that as we ask and pray and seek him, that he'll make it clear. Why would he withhold that from us? So let's quiet ourselves before him and see what it is that he has for us. Lord, bless these elements as they're distributed. Pray, Lord, you'd speak to us in our quiet time. In Jesus' name, amen.